At Federal, we have products for every season and every pursuit. Our passionate and dedicated teams design, build, and deliver the world's best American-made ammunition, whether you're hunting, target shooting, or defending yourself and family. Our pride and hard work can be found in every box, ammo can, or bottle of ammunition. For us, it's always in season. It's federal season. Welcome to Federal Ammunition's podcast. It's federal season. I'm Jason Vanderbrink, president of Federal Ammunition, along with our marketing vice president, Jason Nash. Today is a very fun topic for us. It's waterfall. Many of us live and breathe waterfall hunting, and our guest today certainly uh, does the same. Today we have uh, Chad Belding with us. How's everybody doing out there? Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Chad. You know, this is such a great time of year. We get to start getting wing shooting in on geese and ducks, and it, it just really springboards us into this awesome fall season and all the hunting seasons. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's one of those deals to where you start thinking about all of the preparation and all of the uh, intensity that goes into getting ready for that first part of it. And uh, the, getting through the dog days of summer is uh, it's pretty tough once you get to August, but the preparation starts so much earlier than that with the, you know, whether it's painting decoys or getting your boat motor tuned up or getting your dog trained or your duck calling skills going. It's, it's just a fun time of the year to where you start to get to apply all of those skills and that, that skill set that you've been developing over the, you know, over the summer. And, I think that I think waterfowl hunters are fanatics and it is, it's a nice little uh, segue into the fall and the winter and, and pretty much our favorite time of the year. Awesome. So Chad, you know, again, thanks for being on the podcast for, for those who follow you, you know, in addition to the TV show, you've got a successful podcast called this life ain't for everybody. A lot of our talented employees have been on it. You've had some great celebrities on your, your show as well, which is awesome to listen to. And uh, you talk about Black Cloud and tell fun stories about hunting adventures. Um, before we talk about waterfall hunting, let's learn some history about you. I mean, how did you get your start? What got you started chasing ducks? I was actually a little bit later in life. I grew up in um, Reno, Nevada area, which is known for mule deer and trucker partridge. So I was in the mountains with my dad chasing whether it was a mule deer or a Rocky Mountain elk or an antelope or a bighorn sheep, uh, I uh, I got invited on a hunt in 1997 to um, it was just down the hill from a gold mine, and they would flood that mine and the ac- excess water would get down into the sagebrush and start to develop sheet water and flooding around the sagebrush and the puddle ducks would find that off of the river and they'd get in there to eat the seeds and all the different vegetation growing up around that sagebrush and it took one group of gadwalls flying over our head and my buddy jim ray hit him with a comeback call and when i seen him turn and set their wings and drop their feet and flutter into the decoys before they said get them I was just in awe. I was like, oh, wow. It's like, that's how it's done. I mean, I had seen geese land in decoys, but I had never heard the vocalizations and the calling and, and how, how powerful the jargon, if you would, or the, or the vocabulary or vocalizations were. So that's what caught my eye and my ear. And I fell in love and with my type A personality, it was, it was off to the races with buying a new shotgun and ammunition and a camouflage jacket that was rainproof. And I, uh, I just started there and started competition calling for ducks and geese traveling the country. And I think that's what kind of opened up my, 
my uh, my network and a lot of doors for me was meeting people in the industry at all of those consumer shows and retail shows and calling events. And one thing led to the next. And that's how we kind of got into the, the, the TV and the merchant, you know, the manufacturing of some of our goods. That's great. Uh, that's, that's so many people get hooked on waterfowling just from that first trip out. And you're, you know, that kind of leads into your podcast. Podcasting is, you know, we're on a podcast right now. It's become really an important brand tool for people to to get their message across. And yours is called "This Life Ain't for Everybody." You know why? Isn't isn't duck hunting simple? Isn't it just grabbing a couple decoys and chucking them on the edge of a slough? Yeah, I think it can be if you wanted to go that route. But I think once you get into it and start to see how many moving parts there are and how many different pieces of the puzzle there truly is, then it becomes a it becomes a uh, a chess game, and you want to challenge yourself. I don't look at it as com- competition with other hunters, but you uh, I always explain it of a, a blank canvas, and you have an opportunity to throw as many oils at that canvas you want to create your masterpiece. So everything from you know what we learned as athletes, Jason, and you were a wrestler, I was a baseball player. Visualization is the key to success. So I visualize the hunt maybe two days before as I'm scouting, got my binoculars and notepad and cell phone, and I'm I'm net working i'm talking to farmers and landowners and other hunters and guys in our group and we're looking at what you know where the roosts are where the day loaves are where the, the x is what what are they feeding in is it peas is it corn is it beans what are what what are we trying to to do as far as our hide goes how are we going to hide is it going to be an edge hunt is it a pit blind hunt is it a lay down hunt in in lay down blinds out in the middle of a, a stubble cornfield and i start looking at it like what what pieces of this puzzle do we need to have in place to be successful and to continue with consistent success and it goes as far as all of those pieces that we talk about from the scouting to knowing where to set up in the field how to hide how to be concealed from all of those eyeballs to now calling and working your dog and safety with your guns and ammunition and getting the birds into ethical harvestable range and I, I, I really want to be able to look at my hunt group after and when we're high-fiving and smiling, I want to be able to have that that satisfaction and that that gratification of like, hey, we worked hard, we visualized this, it all came together, we were presented that opportunity, those mallards in our face or those candidates in our face, and, you know, in the black cloud really does the rest for us, but we really try to visualize it and then when it happens we're able to look at each other and go hey our hard work and our consistency and our efforts and our skill set paid off hey chad on on normally in a normal year non-covid year obviously you you start uh in canada and work your way south as the migration goes south but as we're looking at the duck forecast i was just literally reading an article this morning on north dakota's forecast they're saying nine percent more uh ducks in north dakota this year than last year how do you work this migration as you start from north to south? I think I think that, you know, once, you know, this year is different, like you stated, Jason, but I think that, you know, we'll have a lot of fresh ducks. I think that we're going to see a different breed of ducks this year with the hatch being so strong, and I've, I've talked to several Canadians. So I think once you get up to North Dakota, whether it's western or eastern or even eastern Montana, we hunt on the river system over there a bunch. I, I kind of, you got to pay attention. You really got to be, become a meteorologist you got to become a fortune teller a mind reader crystal ball reader and i start to really network as well of um 
we're in a different position to where we can call somebody in Kansas, say, are they there yet? Or somebody in Iowa and say, Hey, are they starting to arrive? But uh, you know, somebody that doesn't might not have contacts in all those different areas down each flyway. There's a lot of different apps you can use to watch the weather. We'll look at, look at different patterns in the weather. Um, look at the 10 day forecast. What, what are those ducks going to be doing? Are those geese going to be doing in front of a storm? If you see a big storm coming, they're probably going to be migrating the day before of it on a North, wind when that storm starts to move in and they're going to get as far south as they can to try to you know get to safe haven or warmer weather where the food's not going to be covered up by snow or or a ton of bad weather so one of one of the main things that we try to concentrate on is just where are the river systems and what are those corridors doing with the migration? If you can find a river system, whether it's the Columbia River Basin on the West Coast or the Snake River Basin over uh, in Idaho, whether it's the Yellowstone River that runs into the Missouri and the Missouri comes down North Dakota, the Mississippi River, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get down into the Black River, the Cache River, the White River, and the Grand Prairie of Arkansas, and that's kind of where that funnel ends of a lot of those Central Flyway and Mississippi Flyway ducks. But I think that if you can really concentrate your efforts on getting around a river system and then finding either public properties, whether it's, you know, public areas or WMAs or knocking on doors and freestyling or working with different outfitters along those areas, you can start to, you know, generate a lot of access or a lot of intel just by watching the rivers and the buildup on those areas. And then obviously you always are paying attention to the weather, the north winds. What is the, what are the storms doing? What are the temperatures doing? And what's going to make those ducks ears perk up and get in, in, in that barometric pressure start to make them go crazy to where they are going to move south. And again, you're going to have hits and misses, but that's part of the fun is like, are we going to be in the right place at the right time? Are we going to judge the storm right and get to where we need to be? And we've seen it to where we got to a place in Nebraska along the Platte River and we hit it perfect. And the next day was just flock after flock of northern migrating mallards because we knew the storm was coming up north in a couple of days. We knew the strong north winds were coming. We were going to have bluebird skies and sunshine. And, and sometimes you hit it just right like that and get that magical hunt. So I would I would definitely concentrate on networking, using some apps and and starting to become a weatherman and, and working those river systems for sure. So when we talk of weather, I, I grew up in Michigan and, and duck hunted my whole life on Saginaw Bay. And I've always thought one of the one of the biggest fallacies, at least I think it's a fallacy, is you want you want rain, you want snow, you want cloudy skies, wind and Maybe it's just me, but I've always had better, better luck in bluebird sky days with some wind. What What is your ideal condition for hunting ducks? 100%. Just north, northwest, northeast wind. I'd rather have it maybe come out of the northeast where it's, you get that sun at your back. But I got to have sunshine, Jason. I have to have chill temps with sunshine. The shadowing giving you the ability to hide more. And um, like a lot of my friends say that have a lot more duck knowledge or duck IQ than I do, um, they just act like ducks. They they don't see different lighting, you know, like UV or something that would come through the clouds. It's not dark and gloomy. This, the, this, the, the ground is vibrant. Your decoys are vibrant. The water reflects different, giving them a harder time to read real or fake. Um, when you have that sunshine, you can create your own magic show because you can get away with more on your hide. You can conceal in the shadows a little bit easier. You can hide your dog a lot easier. And then you can make your decoy spread come alive because the different paint 
paint, the different paints and the different texturing methods that go into the, the manufacturing of these decoys, we have to keep in mind that we're dealing with things that could release UV or have a, a, a really dis, um, really unorg, uh, un, what am I trying to say? Unauthentic look to them from the sky. So if you take the bird's eye view and you're looking down on a water spread and it's cloudy with a low ceiling, everything looks really dead and fake to them. And I'm not saying that you can't fool a couple of them, but for the most part, even in a dry field, when you have mojos out in a cornfield in Minnesota, where y'all are at, or North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, they, they don't act right. You'll, you can get them to 30, 40, but they're going to start to pick you apart once they get down into that area of, you know, getting closer to that 25 yard mark where we really want them. We finish way more ducks in any condition, flooded timber, river hunting, dry field hunting, marsh hunting when it's sunshine, because that vibrance, that brightness, and a lot of it comes in this too, Jason, is like, if you think about that early morning time when the sun's coming up and some de- some geese or some ducks might get close, and then all of a sudden there's that that the little dry spell that happens to where it's right when it's not, the sun's not all the way up, but it's not all the way black anymore, and they quit finishing, and everybody wants to freak out. Hey, we got to change the decoy we got to do something they're seeing us and if you just be patient and let mother nature and the earth do what it does and let that axis spin a little bit more and let that sun get a little higher things will change in a heartbeat you can't freak out and panic because that sunshine changes everything from the colors to the vibrance of the ground the water the decoys your hide the angles the shadows it does everything so always think about trying to get your your hunts and going into your honey holes on sunny days. I understand that you, some of us are weekend warriors and we only have a few select days a week or a month we can hunt and we have to go when we can go. But if I had to choose, I would wait until that sun's out, that wind's blowing and uh, the blue skies with cold temperatures because I, I, I honestly truly feel that ducks and geese act like ducks and geese when it's sunny. What do you think of spinning decoys? I think they're awesome. I think that you know, there's a lot of talk around a lot of different parts of the country and Arkansas and Washington and California even has a late start on them. You can't use them on public properties in Arkansas or WMAs. I think that, um, you know, it's, it's what, what do we, what do we think of the new technology of ammunition these days and the guns these days and the boats and the four wheelers and the UTVs and our maps and our apps and our ability to gain access and read land and, and, and contact people. I mean, everything evolves. And I think that since 1999, when, when they really started to become prevalent out in California and then all over the country, I think ducks did respond to them different. I think they still do. I think that, if you have a bunch of mojo spinning in a pea field in Alberta, Saskatchewan, or Manitoba, you can kill a lot of those young ducks that have been, you know, just born that year, the year before. I think that you can also do it, you know, along the flyway and dry fields very easily. When you start to hunt water with them, I think that you have to your your whole your whole approach has to change the way that you present that hunt has to change you don't just go out and stick them right in the middle of your keel hole but we use a lot of overhang we use a lot of shadowing on them we give them slight flashes here and there you gotta you gotta maneuver them and you gotta manipulate that use of that that spinning wing duck um to where it's not just out there spinning 100 percent of the time because there is the mindset that They've seen them, a lot of outfitters, a lot of hunters up and down the flyways use them, but used in the right ethical manner, I think that they are a very strong tool. And I don't think that you're going to have a very successful cornfield hunt and dry corn or dry peas without them. I'm not saying you're not going to decoy some ducks, 
But as soon as you turn those spinners on, it creates a magical uh, hunt where that you, you can get a wads and wads of mallards over your decoys. And that there's a lot to be said about that, Jason. I think that a new hunter seeing that, a, a female hunter seeing that, um, I think it could really get them going and get the juices flowing of and get them hooked on the sport. So if you use them right, and 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 I'm not saying there's not an argument on the other side of it, but I believe in them, and I think that if you use them right and use them in the right areas at the right times, you can you'll you'll see a lot of ducks work right over the top of them. That's awesome. You mentioned new hunters. We we've got five million new gun owners. A lot of them are buying handguns, and but but we also anticipate with less travel allowed and with people staying closer to home and more interest in outdoor activities we're gonna have more and more people out in the field this year what's your approach man how do you how do you get somebody really hooked on it how do you get them started do you get a lot of questions from people who are just new to the sport wanting to know what do i need for gear do i need everything that you have um how do you give them advice how do you mentor people yeah, that's a great question. I think that mentorship and mentoring programs in our country are key right now. I think that somebody like you or I, Nash, could take it very, very much for granted that, hey, everybody does this. But, man, it's it's not the case. And especially waterfowl hunting, you know, it's probably the smallest demographic from turkey to predator to deer and especially whitetail deer with the numbers they say anywhere from 11 to 14 million. But I think that it's it's just like anything with getting mentored and having an uncle or an aunt that might be able to take you or being able to get into a mentoring program like California waterfowl or DU or somebody has what that we can get new people involved. But as far as me personally, when I'm asked, I get it a lot, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm going for the first time. What do I need for gear? Where should I go? How do I get into a pill or a drop program at a public area? How do I access this area? If you were on the snake river, what would you do? And I always, I always try, I try to give them hints that, you know, be thinking ahead of time, be, per, you know, analyzing and projecting that hunt way out in advance. Um, and don't get stuck in, you know, at the very end of September and trying to put a hunt together. So I tell them that preparation and organization is the key to success. Make sure that you have your arsenal ready. Be thinking of what species you're going to try to pursue and try to get as well acquainted with that type of a hunt as you possibly can. And then when I start talking to them about you know, well, hey, I'm bringing my son or I'm bringing my daughter, or my nephew or niece for the first time or my wife or girlfriend out. I try to tell them to look for to look for confidence. Um, I, I look for fun. Breed something into that hunt that's going to be different. You know, like Jackie Bushman once told me that, hey, you know, you don't always you don't always just set a kid up in a tree stand and let them sit there for nine hours in cold weather on their first hunt. Take them on a squirrel hunt. Let them see squirrels. Let them get a little 22. Let them be on a four-wheeler horseback or something. Let them see the hounds work and let them get the blood flowing that way. So I think just fun and in nice conditions to where they're not going to get, you know, frostbite or their hands are going to be too cold or their feet are going to get too cold make sure they have the right kind of gear when you take them out but look for something that's going to bring some confidence with them is it going to be a day to where like we talked about that sunshine and that wind to where we're going to get a couple ducks to decoy they're going to have time to get their gun set on their shoulder and squeeze it off to where they're not scared of the gun or they're not in a hurry to get it up and squeeze because the ducks might have just appeared out of nowhere because we didn't have a real a, a good wind to set them up. I'm looking for conditions that are going to give me the opportunity to have some kind 
of success, consistency and success, breeding that confidence to where they're not just going to get wet or cold or no fun on a boat ride or no fun petting a dog or having breakfast in the blind or seeing somebody cook eggs or biscuits and gravy in the blind. I want to give them that whole effect of what camaraderie and what socializing really takes place in a duck blind or a goose pit to where they're like, man, that was so much fun. And maybe they did get to see one get harvested and the dog bring it back. And now it's time to butcher it and process it and cook it up for them. But I'm looking for I'm looking for some kind of confidence, Jason Nash, to to be able to get their eyes open. And be like, man, I want to go do that again. That was fun, and we I got some confidence in my shooting now, or my duck calling, or my boat driving, or whatever it might be. That's great advice. One of the most intimidating things for people when they start out, and you know, I certainly experienced this when I started. And thankfully, we've got a lot of public land up here in the Midwest you can hunt, but. When you start to look at scouting and, and private land and asking for permission, any tips for people on how do you approach somebody who's a landowner who you, you might see a spot you want to try to get on? Yeah, I, th- I think that um, it, it, it's very intimidating. And you can go to you know where your question is, and you can also talk about how gear intensive it is and how the laws and regulations of it. If we start talking about identification and what it means to identify a hen sprig or a hen mallard or a hen widgeon, or what's a diver, what's a puddle duck, how many hen mallards can you kill? How many canvas backs can you harvest? There's a lot that goes into it. And it could be very intimidating just on those two. And now you're asking, well, now we got to find a hunt. Now we got to ask permission. How do we even go knock on that door? And I think that it starts early again, Nash. We talked about the preparation, the organization, well, the networking and the communication, if you're in a farming area and you know that you're going to be asking permission on a, on, on farmer John or farmer or farmer Mary's land in October, well, let's start a little bit earlier with maybe going up and buying them breakfast at the cafe and sitting down and having a cup of coffee with them or seeing them at the bake sale or the local fair, what's ever taking place in these hunting communities, try to establish a friendship with them to where it's not just a knock on the door and go, Hey, I see you got a bunch of geese in the field. Can I, can I hunt them? Well, that might happen to them 15 times a year, 20 times a year, if you're in a, uh, you know, a waterfowl enriched area. So my idea is friendship, and treating it like a business relationship to where you're networking, you're communicating, you're staying in touch. You might go over and have coffee or cook, have a barbecue at your pad and you invite them over. You might, you know, you might invite them on a hunt. You might know they have a grandkid. You get them a duck call and maybe go talk with them to like establish some consistency, communication with them. And some common thread with them to where now they know you on a first name basis. They see your phone number come through when they call or when you call them or knock on their door. And and now they, 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 they're familiarized with you. Right. So I think familiarity is everything of not just going when the good is good and saying, hey, I need to hunt your land. Be a friend to them. Maybe go out and help them work one day and go go. Go do go get on a combine or a harvester and help them during the harvest or whatever time of year it is. Just show them that you're really tied into their land and that you care about their well-being and their family more so than just getting on their property for a hunt. But there are other ways too, Jason. You could there's pay as you go. There's outfitters out there. There's a a great way to learn how to do this and, and lose that intimidation factor is go with somebody like our mutual friends at Honey Break. Call Drew and the guys down in Louisiana and go on a hunt and see how it's done. Learn. Ask Jared and the guides questions. Come out to California to Rocky Merlot and be like, hey man, what are what are, what are, why are we wearing these white suits? Why so many snow goose decoys? Why why don't you have as many speckle belly decoys out? 
why are there so many sprig decoys or pintail decoys in our spread? Is it because they've got the white on them and they can see that color from a long ways away and as opposed to a mallard decoy that's a little bit more brown and has darker colors in it? So ask questions. Learn from these uh, outfits outfitters learn from a guide learn from wildfowl magazine learn from the federal premium website tips and tactics and there's a there's a lot of information and today content is king and it's at our fingertips whether it's youtube or instagram or facebook or social media whatever it is go out and take the time to study it and become a student of the game to where calculus was intimidating for you too jason nash but after a day you probably had it whipped because you're so smart and it, it wasn't intimidating anymore right so you're trying to lose that intimidating factor become a student of the game and master it and so when you go out there you're like i got this that's a lot of a lot of good stuff uh in there chad all right this is a, a fun round that uh, nash started with our uh, friend Stephen ronella and Giannis. we call it our quick fire round not a lot of science behind this. Just tell us the first thing that comes to your mind on some of these questions. Favorite 80s movie? Revenge of the Nerds. Favorite hair band? Uh, I'm gonna, it's, gonna, it's hard right there, Vanderbrink. Guns N' Roses is the best band of all time, but I do not consider them a hair band. So I would, I, would have to, I would have to say, I would probably say Cinderella. If you could hear one last song on the radio, what is it? Uh, I'm going to go with um, Locomotive by Guns N' Roses. You could attend one last concert. Ooh, probably 1993 Dustin Bones tour Guns N' Roses. Favorite shot size for ducks? Three-inch threes. For teal? Two-and-three-quarter-inch blue box. What size shot? Uh, sixes. Favorite size shot for uh, geese? Three-inch twos, m- maybe three-inch BBs, depending on what kind of geese, if they're big honkers. Favorite state to uh, waterfall hunt? Arkansas. Favorite species to waterfall hunt? Mallards. Pass shooting or wings locked? All cupped up in your face, 15 yards or closer, please. Labs or springers? All labs. If you if you weren't hunting on a Saturday in October, November, December, what would you be doing? Probably grilling out somewhere with uh with the with with some wild game on it. Favorite baseball player? George Brett. Favorite MMA fighter? Of all time, Dan Henderson. Golf or chess? Chess. And favorite college wrestler of all time? David Taylor. All right. That was interesting. All right, Nash. No surprises there, Chad. Up next on the It's Federal Season podcast, Chad Felding will come back for the Tech Talk segment to talk about the only ammunition he uses, Black Cloud. Meet the industry's widest variety of game-changing ammunition. However you shoot, and whatever you hunt, fortune favors the prepared. And nothing prepares you better than Federal Premium. It's a gold standard advantage delivered directly from the experts in premium ammunition. Find your Federal Premium Advantage today. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and our technology segment, Tech Talk. This is our Tech Talk segment and joining us for another few minutes to talk about the best waterfowl ammunition on the market, Black Cloud, is Chad Belding, host of Chad Belding's The Fowl Life on the Outdoor Channel. So in, in 2007, Federal launched the new standard for steel shot shells with Black Cloud. 
the innovative flight control wad, the revolutionary pellet configurations, which is a mix of premium steel and flight stopper steel, optimized patterns and increased terminal performance that was uh, launched with great success. It's really been one of our best product launches and brand launches in the history of the company. Um, Chad, do you remember the first time you shot it and, and what did you, how was your reaction to it? Yeah, I think, uh, I think back along, uh, you know, my entire history with black cloud and how it's always stood out to me is it's really the only piece of product or equipment that we have that touched the bird. Right. And I've heard Compton talk about this and when it did, it was just so awesome to see the difference in what I would hunt with before and now being, you know, now having black cloud in my blind bag and using it on on all of my hunts. I saw the results very quick. I, I thought to myself in a hurry of the patterning we were getting out of it and the, and the, and the non cripples we were getting out of it. I remember the very first time that I ever went on a spring snow goose hunt with it. And you always come up out of your blind and see three or four or five of them walking around. And it was just white out there laying there, no cripples. The dogs had an easy job and that it's been like that ever since. I've always talked to you guys about the performance we get out of it, the patterning we get out of it, the density we get out of it and the results of ducks and geese dead in the decoys, no cripples. And I don't say that it never happens with crossfire, but yes, I remember it vividly and I could paint you a picture of of so many dozens and dozens of black cloud hunts that's great and you know with our partnership you've you've had an opportunity to talk to guys like dan compton and and engineers who work on the product and you've been great at giving us feedback on the products and what we can improve and you know we we all introduced the flight control flex wad so that it could be shot out of ported choke tubes and really out of any gun uh what do you think has really been the best attributes of the product for a clean ethical kill? Um, I think, I think the flex wad is a huge part of it. I think that the patterning, and if you actually take the time to go onto a patterning board, like Jason mentioned, Rob Roberts, I've been to his place in Arkansas. I've used the computerized patterning boards at different distances from 25 back to 50 yards. And um, I've done it with, you know, with securing on the tripod and I've also done it freehanded. And I'm always impressed on, how many BBs, how many pellets are in that harvest zone of where do you, where are they going to touch on that duck or on that turkey or whatever animal you're hunting. But with the black cloud, we always get the patterning down to a T and the consistency of that with the flex wad has always been so important to me. I want consistency of when I know what gun I'm using, what choke tube I have in and what load I have of black cloud in my gun for that specific species or that specific hunt day. I want to know what I'm getting and it's always consistent. So I know that when I pull up left to right with a mallard trying to get out of there and my cameramen are on it, I know what I need to do, whether it's how fast he's, he's flying what my lead needs to be but one thing rest assured i know what that patterning is going to do and how consistent it has been and with the with that new wad system doesn't matter what loads you're shooting the patterning is consistent and that's everything to a waterfowl hunter because we're taking the responsibility to aim a gun and point a gun and pull the trigger on a live animal so we have to have you know, confidence in what that is going to do on the other end. We don't want to have a crippled bird out there that's suffering for a coyote or an eagle to come and get. We want it to die an ethical, quick death and and, and get on the grill. So that's what I've seen, Jason Nash, is how consistent the pattern is, giving me that confidence every time I pull the trigger of what that shot's going to do on the other end. We, we just introduced Black Cloud TSS 
And what has that done for your selection of what gauge you take and what's your, been your reaction to that product? I think it's on a different level and I've done it with, with both ducks and geese. And I've also done it in spring Turkey season. And I've, I've, I never thought in a million years that somebody would say, Hey, grab your 20 and let's go on a turkey hunt. And then I heard somebody say, I'm getting, I'm bringing my 410 and, uh, on the duck hunting with the 20 gauge, the TSS on mallards in places like the Butte sink or the snake river that I referred, referred to earlier in Idaho, I've seen hunts where it's low impact, low recoil. Your, your shot is a lot, you know, is a, is a lot more successful day in and day out because you're not getting beat up by that gun. And I think that that's what TSS has done for my waterfowl hunts is that it's given me the confidence that I can put the 12 gauge down on a, a duck hunt or even a goose hunt for lesser canaders or specks or snows and enjoy a day of low impact, less recoil shooting with the 20 gauge. But the results are on a different level. This stuff is hitting harder than I've ever seen. And it's, it's, it's creating a hunt to where, you know, you're not going to have any cripples. And I think that whether you, you buy one box a season or you all only shoot TSS, take it out sometimes. You know, if you're going on that one hunt where you know that you want to perform and it's your first big Canada goose hunt up in Montana or your first mallard hunt down on the Columbia Basin, wherever it is, make sure that you, you get a shot that you go, man, that was worth it. Because, it, you know, you, you, you might not buy TSS for every hunt or every application, but what I've been telling people is, hey, Get a couple boxes for a couple of your standout hunts this year when the migration's really on and you want a lot of payback and a payload with that shot. That's what I try to tell people is that it is worth seeing and worth shooting at least two or three times a season. What about chokes? <clears throat> I think chokes are as important to the shooting system as anything. Obviously, Black Cloud is, is, has, has, has the knockdown power and everything we just touched on, but not knowing your shooting system is detrimental in my opinion. And I think that if you're asking my favorite, I would say I shoot consistently the Rob Roberts T2 choke out of a super black Eagle three Benelli. And like I talked about before on the, on the quick fire stuff, three inch threes at ducks and maybe three inch twos or BBs at, at bigger geese. But I think that patterning is everything. And I think that consistency with a choke tube system and the ammunition that you choose should stay the same. I understand that there's going to be a grab bag and a smorgasbord of ammo in some people's blind bag, but I think that if you find that system that suits you, now we get back to that confidence and, and, and losing that intimidation factor, you're going to start to see consistency and success. And you can key in on that like an athlete. Like, why would you change your baseball swing if it's working? Why would you change your double leg takedown to the way you shoot an ankle pick or a high crotch if it's working? You don't just change in the middle of the match. You have to adapt sometimes. But if that shooting system is working for me consistently, consistently, I'm going to continue with it. And a choke tube is a huge part of that. So like I said, get on a patterning board. Get on paper. Understand what your federal black cloud load is doing out of the choke tube you use, ported or non-ported, and, and go from there. I choose to use a non-ported choke tube and the T2 Rob Roberts, but I've seen a lot of success with ported choke tubes, and but I don't shoot them personally, so I don't have a lot of knowledge or know-how on that. But I think consistency and getting on paper and finding that confidence in your shooting system is key. And the choke tube is a big part of that. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. Now, I know we've got some time on the calendar in January to go to California and, and hunt with Merlot Waterfall. So we're really looking forward to that. I mean, widgeons, mallards, maybe some specks and a, and a wall hanger pintail. So can't wait to get out there with you. Uh, appreciate your time on the show today and have a great one. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate the time and appreciate what you do for us. 
I appreciate the relationship. We're humbled to be part of the Federal Premium Black Cloud family, and thank you all for having me on today. Up next, our news and notes section of the It's Federal Season podcast. We'll share what's making headlines at Federal, including hot promotions on Federal gear and products. There's a time and a place for every season. This is that time, and these are those special places. When preparation gives way to anticipation, rituals, and traditions. <laughs> Friends, family, forever. This is what you live for. It's time to celebrate the annual tradition like no other. It's federal season. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and the news and notes segment. Staying on the waterfall theme, there's some Black Cloud promotions going on to save you some money and or get a Black Cloud sweatshirt. The first promotion is appropriately named because every blind bag should be filled with your favorite Black Cloud load. It's called Blind Bag Bargains. Buy at least one case, which is 10 boxes of Federal Premium Black Cloud shot shell ammunition and get a rebate of $5 per box or a hunt to eat Black Cloud Unisex Super Soft Hoodie. Retail value $45. Max out the offer to get both the sweatshirt and the rebate. The second promotion is called Tear Them Down From The Sky. Buy at least one case of Federal Premium Black Cloud TSS Shot Shell Ammunition and get a rebate of $7.50 per box or a Hunt to Eat Black Cloud Unisex Super Soft Hoodie. Retail value $45. Max out the offer to get both the sweatshirt and the rebate. These rebates are active right now and qualifying product must be purchased before December 31st, 2020. Go to federalpremium.com promotions for full details on both these promotions. Lastly, check out federalpremium.com and the merchandise page. While supplies last, there's a cool high quality federal branded shotgun case in the gear section. This case was designed for rugged use for hunting or at the range. Lined with soft cotton, the case uses outdoor-specific YKK zippers, which are much less likely to scratch your firearm. Built-in closed-cell foam provides insulation, padding, and flotation. It's made by Duluth Pack in Minnesota. Our next podcast is set for release on October 22nd. With such a critical election coming, we have the honor of having Colian Noir, an American gun rights activist, lawyer, and host of the web series Noir joining the podcast. We'll explore the importance of the 2020 election, gun rights, and it will be an important discussion. If you like the It's Federal Season podcast, be sure to let us know by filling out a rating and review on iTunes. And remember, for us, it's always in season. It's Federal Season. <laughs>